0: This is Asha Voices, I'm J.D. Gray. Today on the podcast, we're talking about the sometimes unseen environmental and social factors that can hinder healthcare outcomes, social determinants of health. These factors might include patients' food access or housing, and today's guest says they can make a difference when it comes to healthcare outcomes. She shares what she's learning about how they influence how she works with families while treating pediatric feeding disorder.
1: I think the most important relationship is our relationship with our patients. And I feel really fortunate that by having a trusting and therapeutic relationship, we can really help direct their care so that the patients can feel most successful.
0: I'm J.D. Gray, and this is ASHA Voices. Support for ASHA Voices comes from the Medical SLP Collective. Have you heard of the Medical SLP Collective? This is a supportive online community for current and future medical SLPs. Learn more at www.medslpcollective.com/asha. Think back to March 2020 when the pandemic took hold in the US, SLP Cheryl Hirsch went virtual. Cheryl treats pediatric feeding disorder at Mass General Brigham. Gone were the conference rooms filled with clinicians, family members, and multidisciplinary collaborators That was replaced with a Zoom-like platform where the care team could meet with families and patients. Cheryl quickly learned that this platform provided new insights into the lives of the families with whom she worked. Through telepractice, she could see just where and what her patients were eating. Cheryl refers to this as an eye-opening experience, and it was during this time that her employer approached her with a new idea.
1: Mass General had started exploring a questionnaire, a screening to screen for social determinants of health. They were just starting to roll it out in a few primary care practices, but then COVID hit and the in-person visits were paused at that point. Because our clinic had pivoted to virtual visits, the community health team approached us and asked if we could integrate this screening process for our patients. We were certainly nervous and hesitant to figure out how to implement that. But we made it happen. We have such a great team and we just made it happen.
0: I'm wondering what types of things you're asking about and what you were learning about your clients when asking these questions.
1: There are seven categories of social determinants of health that our institution encourages us to screen. And some of the questions were really telling. One of the categories is on food insecurity. There was two questions in that category that the families were asked. One was, within the past 12 months, we worried whether our food would run out before we got money to buy more. And the family said, never true. Sometimes they're often true. And then the other question was, Within the past 12 months, the food we bought just didn't last and we didn't have money to get more. That question alone just really brought it home to understanding our patients and understanding that maybe I don't understand what they're going through right now. And it's kind of my responsibility as their provider to take a few moments and pause and ask some of these really difficult questions.
0: We're talking specifically about... Pediatric feeding disorder, dysphagia, right? Correct. So when we talk about food insecurity, this relates directly to the work you're doing.
1: Absolutely. One of the therapeutic strategies we use to teach toddlers and preschoolers how to bite and chew is we use crunchy, dissolvable snack foods. and
0: Like a cracker?
1: Like a cracker. like um, It's a snack food called veggie sticks, Ritz crackers, club crackers. And so... That is one of our therapeutic strategies. We try and then we'll send families home to purchase those items and work with their child. In Massachusetts, the WIC program is the program that is basically like the food stamps for young families. And we realize that the WIC program doesn't sponsor crunchy dissolvables. There's no crackers or snack foods, crunchy snack foods on that list of eligible foods for food stamps. So here I was, I was a pediatric feeding provider, and for years I was mortified. I was sending families home to go practice on foods that weren't even in their food stamps program. Mm. Just examples like this made me really pause and think about the social determinants of health and how they affect my patient population directly.
0: Did you make any adjustments to your recommendation?
1: Absolutely. Um, I feel very fortunate. We have a group of nine speech pathologists all in pediatric feeding disorders. And so we all put our heads together after this moment and sort of developed a list of foods that we could use. We talked about how do we get some of these snack foods to some of these families, and then we'd look through the shopping list and try to determine what other substitutes we could use that they might have available.
0: What were some of the substitutes?
1: We talked about using really thin pieces of apple. Could they boil the apple, for example, just to make it a little softer? That, of course, then got us into the question of, well, what if they don't have hot water for utilities? And what if now we're asking not only for them to be creative with the foods, but to access another resource that they may have less of?
0: You mentioned there were seven categories in the questionnaire. You used the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. They list five domains for social determinants of health economic stability, education, access and quality, healthcare access and quality, neighborhood and built environment and social and community context. Some of these subjects, they can be pretty sensitive.
1: Absolutely. We learned immediately that families would open up more readily if they were spoken to in their primary language. We felt very fortunate that one of our patient liaisons had more than one language to communicate with families in. We also learned from one of a pediatric practice uh, that we work with is that if a phone call was made and a parent answered a phone they might be less likely to answer truthfully if they were worried about being overheard by their children or family members and then once covid got a little bit more under control and patients started coming back to the office when we gave them an iPad with the questionnaire they were more readily willing to respond with responses that would have flagged them because no one was overhearing them. And it was just a really fascinating aha moment as well.
0: That's interesting because it's about the audience that they're speaking in front of as well. I can think of situations in my own life where someone would be in the room and I would have to alter what I'm saying. Maybe it's something as simple as a birthday present or something like that, but I'll change the way I'm speaking to someone if I think someone else is listening.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I feel as feeding and swallowing providers that therapeutic relationship is really important and it's kind of, you know, our responsibility to build that level of trust with these families and frequently through that level of trust, we're able to learn more about them than maybe, you know, a specialty provider who sees them for 30 minutes twice a year. And so we, We think about that a lot and think about, okay, how can we use our awareness or index of suspicion to explore some questions with them and then potentially help them through communication with their team?
0: We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we talk about more ways Cheryl has modified her care to deliver services informed by social determinants of health. Support for Asha Voices comes from the Medical SLP Collective. Whether you're brand new to the field or have been practicing for years, the Med SLP Collective has something for you. Webinars, journal clubs, a private online community to ask your toughest questions. And weekly resources are available at your fingertips when you become a member of the Med SLP Collective. Join today at www.medslpcollective.com. Before the break, Cheryl alluded to the importance of trust between clinicians and the families they work with, and she spoke about how she addresses food insecurity with her patients. With this in mind, I asked Cheryl to tell me more about some of the other social determinants of health.
1: Housing security is an area that really also impacts not only the family, but the feeding environment. One of the other social determinants of health is housing There are questions on our questionnaire. It's, what is your housing situation today? How many times have you moved in the past 12 months? And are you worried that in the next two months, you may not have your own housing to live in? And so when you think about it, as the family is moving locations or being fit into other members' households they don't have appropriate seating or a high chair for their kids. We talk about the family meal and gosh, if they just have a family shelter and place to stay, we really want to think about adjusting our recommendations and the pressure on the feeding environment.
0: It seems like that's another advantage of telepractice. If the location that you're receiving the call from seems to have changed the backdrop, that might be a good prompt to ask about something like housing.
1: Absolutely. It gives us a nice window into Oh, it looks like you're in a different room today. Oh, wow, look at that chair. You know, is that different from last time and it sort of just allows the family to share a little bit. As they move housing locations, that also affects another social determinant of health, which is utilities. So they may not have internet access or reliable Wi-Fi. And so some of our virtual visits will start as a video virtual visit, and because of poor connection, may end up requiring phone support. It makes it a little challenging, and our families are really doing their best to try and take care of their kids and attend their medical appointments in the best way that they can.
0: Mm -hmm. Can you tell me any specific changes you've made into how you approach dysphagia treatment, and pediatric feeding disorder with this highlighted approach to social determinants of health?
1: I think the primary goal is to always determine what is the primary concern and goal for the family for feeding their child. And with social determinants of health in the back of our mind, it really helps triage our recommendations so that they are achievable and the family feels successful.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. And I understand the awareness of these factors can lead to better care. Has it changed the way that you treat your patients?
1: We actually did a pivot for our radiological exams, our video fluoroscopic swallow studies. We realized that in COVID, we tried to get patients in and out for their safety and to take care of them. And so they would come in for a swallow study. We would designate a very specific recipe or Liquid diet. And then to save the patient time from being in a hospital institution, we sent them home. And we said, Don't worry, we'll put the recipe in your electronic medical record or we'll email it to you. And we sent them home thinking we are taking the best possible care of them. But what we soon realized is is if these families don't have internet access when they need that recipe, they are at a loss. And we also realized that not only their tech literacy, but their reading literacy had a large impact on them being able to follow through on these recommendations.
0: That makes a lot of sense. So what changes did you make?
1: So we started asking patients very specifically, how would you like the recipes today? Would you like them written? Would you like them emailed? One of the questions we can ask families in a sort of thoughtful, kind way is, if I write these down, you know, I don't know if you have glasses, do you want me to read them to you? And so we gave them an opportunity to say, yes, could you please read them to me? And it wasn't that we were saying, do you know how to read? But suggesting that maybe there was some other reason that they would require the directions to be read to them.
0: Because mm-hmm. I, I can understand too, if you overstated something, someone might become a little defensive if you were to overstate something or made it sound like you're making an assumption about their life.
1: Yeah. Treating them with dignity and respect is sort of one of our primary goals. And so any questions I ask my families, I sort of have a, is this a question that, conveys dignity and respect filter in in my head, hopefully prior to my asking the questions.
0: The healthcare industry in general has been trending towards a value-based care and outcomes-based evaluation in a lot of ways. And I'm wondering, do you think this fits into that conversation?
1: That's an interesting question. So in terms of value-based care... Multidisciplinary visits, I think, are not only a cost savings for the family and the insurance companies, but really maximize the amount of information that's coordinated and provided to the family. Multidisciplinary clinics allow all the providers to potentially get a little bit of information that will help inform the next provider's recommendations. And in terms of social determinants of health, I think that's really helpful. If the social worker asks a few questions and the questions yield information about housing, then the next set of recommendations or questions can be sensitive and thoughtful towards that for the family.
0: This is really interesting. What you're highlighting to me is kind of, if I'm understanding this correctly, something like the questionnaire that you ask. the answers to this, those are stored and those are a part of the patient's record. Is that how I'm understanding this?
1: Yeah. So when you log into the EMR, to the electronic medical record, there is actually two different ways to see the information and it's represented in icons. I think the goal is that when the provider logs in to start the visit, that will be noticed. And then the provider can take a moment, click on those icons and see what information has already been obtained for each of our patients.
0: That is interesting. Do you have any other examples or any stories from this combination of the questionnaire, this focus on social determinants of health, and the use of telepractice?
1: I think something that is frequent, likely in many clinics across the country, is cancellations and no-shows. We want to maximize our providers' time and access to appointments for our patients. And social determinants of health awareness is really changed our thinking about what to do with patients who no-show and patients who canceled at the last minute. And one of the categories we think about is employment status. One patient continued to no-show and cancel at the last moment. And this is a little boy who really needed some feeding support, both from a GI perspective and an oral feeding perspective, and a dietitian caloric intake perspective, but they continued to no-show and cancel. And I think the old version of our clinic may have said, all right, you know, we're putting you to the bottom of the wait list. We're letting your pediatrician know we want to help you, but we can't help you if you continue to cancel. But what we did instead is ask a few extra questions only to find out that, the parent had lost their job and didn't have a source of income and had finally gotten a new job and was on night shifts. And so if the parent was on a night shift, they weren't able to call in sick on their new job. They didn't dare risk their employment being uh, impacted. And I'm sure as a parent... You're making the decision between attending a medical visit for your child and attending your job, right? You're sort of stuck between two really important choices and attending your job to have income to take care of your family has to win. It just has to win.
0: That's such an interesting example, perhaps as you said, used to, you would put them perhaps at the bottom of the list. And that's because I would assume that those appointments could have went to someone else who maybe needed the appointment. On the other hand, you raised this really good point that this is kind of an impossible decision between choosing a medical appointment and income. Has there been a change to how you approach these dilemmas now? Or is it just a, a sense of greater empathy? Or how do you approach it?
1: Most definitely a sense of greater empathy, and I think our approach includes asking questions rather than making assumptions, and the assumption could be the parent forgot, the parent didn't bother to call in, the parent didn't have time to call in, and instead our assumption is we don't know why they're canceling, so let's learn a little bit more.
0: And that seems to be maybe one of the big takeaways from this entire conversation, less assumptions and more learning about the patients. You've talked a lot about dysphagia care, about pediatric feeding disorder, and the teamwork and the approach that you have at the hospital. But I'm thinking a lot of people working with children with swallowing disorders, they may be community-based and not have all of the benefits of um, working in a hospital and as accessible of team members. Do you have any recommendations for them if they want to try to be more in tune with these concepts of social determinants of health?
1: One of the benefits that we have learned through conducting virtual visits is a lot of times our patients are seen by our whole team and then transition back to their community providers for weekly service. With virtual visits, The community providers are now joining our interdisciplinary team visits, and we find it really beneficial to not only share the specific feeding goals, but that is a forum where frequently some of these themes get discussed in a very careful and sensitive manner, And I think some of the community providers have really been able to be part of that conversation and they can carry it over at home, whereas they didn't have to start that conversation.
0: Cheryl, is there anything I haven't asked you about that you were hoping I would? What have we missed?
1: My take-home message after spending so much time on learning about social determinants of health, learning what... Is available at the institution level and learning what we as speech pathologists can provide. I think the most important relationship is our relationship with our patients. I feel really fortunate that by having a trusting and therapeutic relationship, we can really help direct their care so that the patients can feel most successful.
0: Cheryl, thank you so much for your time.
1: My absolute pleasure.
0: The health system Cheryl works for, Massachusetts General Hospital, has an office dedicated to addressing social determinants of health and the inequities that surround them. Find a link to the Center for Community Health Improvement on the blog post for this episode. Interested in learning more about pediatric feeding disorder? Check out the podcast archive and you can hear a pediatric feeding disorder team at Children's Wisconsin discuss how they collaborate to meet families' needs or to find that episode and more, including episodes about healthcare disparities and access, visit on.asha.org/podcast, and look for an upcoming article addressing new pediatric feeding disorder diagnostic codes in the March-April issue of the Leader Print Magazine. ASHA Voices is produced by the American Speech-Language-Hearing Association and comes from the team behind the ASHA Leader Magazine. Support for ASHA Voices comes from the Medical SLP Collective. With healthcare jobs and burnout on the rise, medical SLPs need more support than ever. The Medical SLP Collective provides that and much more. Learn more at www.medslpcollective.com ASHA. Production assistance for ASHA Voices comes from Pamela Lawrence. I'm J.D. Gray, and this is ASHA Voices.